The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com. Empire. In these times, training your mind to perform is everything. They weren't necessarily bringing that perfectionism into performance. They were bringing adaptability into performance. They were often talking about visualization and envisioning certain things happening, yet they talked about playing present in performance. So it's really what I've written my book about. It took four years to write the book. That's author and performance coach Brian Levinson, who knows shifting your mind can be the difference between just competing and succeeding. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Brian Levinson's father was part of the Atlanta Hawks ownership, so he grew up in high-level sports and performance. His path has been to work with athletes, coaches, and now executives across the business world to help them communicate better, find their zone, and perform at peak moments. Our guest this week is a sports and executive coach who has a new book called Shift Your Mind, Brian Levinson. Hey, Brian, how are you? Doing well, Bram. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Um, I, I love your book. I love your work. Um, uh, you know, uh, We've talked a lot together through the years and gotten to know each other a little bit, and I really appreciate the work that you've done in the field of uh, mental preparedness. So I want to start with, uh, we'll get into the book in a moment, but I I want to start with your background, which is how did you end up in this space and in this field? When I graduated from college, I was a complete lost puppy, Bram, and I thought I wanted to do something similar to what you do. And so I went to Syracuse University and looked into Newhouse and looked into communications and, and sports broadcasting and just decided to go in a different direction. And along my journey, I met a woman named Julie Ellian. And Julie, at the time, was working with a lot of top golfers in the world, a lot of other athletes in other sports. And we had lunch, and I thought what she did was fascinating. I love the idea of combining sports, which you and I both have a passion for, and helping people and the psychology element and, and working with, with people's minds. So I went to grad school for sports psychology, uh, came back to D.C., worked alongside Julie. She mentored me. She still mentors me. And along my journey, I also uh, loved working with athletes and loved working with sports teams, but also started to get phone calls from people who either played sports at a high level or a fan of sports or uh, were involved in the sports industry in, in some way, shape, or form. And so I started to do executive coaching as well. So today my business is partially one-on-one coaching with executives and athletes. And then I also do a fair amount of speaking and workshops and group experiences with all kinds of different people and organizations. Um, when you talk about preparing yourself to succeed, um, is it in your experience now different to work with an athlete who is preparing for, at least in that moment, a finite event, a game, a match, whatever it may be, and an executive who might not be staring down this final shot at the end of a game, but a long-term vision? It's interesting. I just got off a Zoom workshop with, 
uh, a group of realtors in the Washington, D.C. area, and I was presenting on the concepts of the book to them. And one of the women said, look, I played sports at a high level, but for me, my job is a little bit different than when I had a game and I knew it was at seven o'clock. And what I sort of challenged her on was, okay, you might not have a seven o'clock game, but what are you doing every single morning to prepare for once you are client facing and you are uh, in an environment where you have to execute? And what are you doing when you're not with that client to prepare yourself and front load your, and set your mind so that you're going to perform? So I don't think it's apples to apples, but I do think we're all performers in, in some way and how we prepare to perform matters. And then I even said to her, more importantly than any of that is, are you aware of how you're showing up when you're preparing? And are you aware of how you're showing up when you're performing? And are you setting your mind in a preparation mind or a performance mind? And are you setting your performance in a preparation or a performance mind? So those are the types of things I, conversations I have with my clients. And the last thing I'll say is I do think an athlete is more like a salesperson and a head coach is more like an executive. And what I mean by that is an executive and a coach are more focused on strategy and have a long-term vision and are really focused on how they can get the team to perform to the best of their abilities. Whereas a salesperson and an executive, a salesperson and an athlete are really focused on execution and are really focused on how can I perform right here, right now? So I think there are subtle differences. And for me, I, I look at every person that I work with differently, but I do leverage frameworks uh, and theories to help me work with those people. Well, I guess the athletes do have to meet quotas because if they don't, they get replaced. So that is true. <laughs> that is certain. If they don't perform, they don't have their jobs very long. Well, Bram, we were, I was texting with one of my friends about the Washington football team. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens this year. And organizations and sports always have to think about what they need to do and what kind of space they need to give their, their athletes um, so that they can grow and develop and learn. And then at the end of the day, they also know that you have to execute and you have to perform. And I think it's the reality beyond sports. Like we, we often need to give people time to grow and learn from mistakes and, and develop. And at some point, if they are unable to do so, it, it does impact the bottom line. It does impact the performance of the organization. And it's tricky. And I don't think it's a one size fits all. And I think that's what people are hired to do is to make tough decisions. And sometimes they get those decisions wrong and sometimes they get them right. Yeah. Um, so um, tell me a little bit about your background as well. Um, your father was an owner, correct? With the Atlanta Hawks. So um, you had some experience um, within an organization and kind of understanding the, the dynamics of trying to make this all work, right? So I grew up a big sports fan. And when you're a big sports fan, and your dad gets involved with a sports team and an ownership level, it's pretty exciting. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. So I got to sit in on the war room. I got to sit in on, on sort of draft decisions, free agency, trades, stuff like that. And I think that helped me a little bit uh, because I understand what those jobs entail and the challenges of those jobs. So I think it's a, a little bit of an unfair advantage for me. Um, but at the same time, uh, I, I think my job is really about listening, asking questions, providing frameworks, knowing the research and the science behind the psychology of performance. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it, it was always interesting to observe. And I pretty much anytime I was with uh, the team, uh, and they also had the hockey team for a bunch of years, uh, I would just try to be a fly on the wall and learn and ask questions and 
it was really fascinating to see how the sausage was. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of smart people in sports that think about culture and think about organization and think about building a team. And those experiences I certainly have taken with me to this day. Um, back then, uh, it, the work that you're doing now, was a team like the Hawks or the Thrashers or, or whoever else you know, were they open to all of this kind of performance coaching or is this a new model in, in your opinion? I think the hockey team had some sports psychology guys that they consulted with in 2010, so about a decade ago. The basketball team, um, they would use them as needed. Um, and then I would say beyond the teams that I saw, the Dallas Mavericks have had somebody on staff for a long, long time. The Philadelphia 76ers have somebody. I know that um, some teams will consult to people like me. Others will have somebody on staff. Uh, and then the leagues have also made a big commitment to mental health as far as clinical goes. So I know I just talked to somebody who's in the NBA bubble right now, and they said they have a team of experts down there, clinical experts to help players or, or staff that might be struggling. So um, I think it continues to grow. Baseball has been a leader in the field. Uh, almost every baseball team has at least somebody on staff, uh, which is interesting that baseball has been at the lead. And then golf and tennis and individual sports have also leveraged people and utilized people like me for a long time now. Um, I want to go back to one of the things you said, which is, are you coming in to, with a preparation mind or a performance mind? Can you expand on that? What do you mean by that when you say that? So one of the things I noticed over the last decade is that when you listen to elite performers, they talk about being perfectionistic and adaptable. They talk about being humble and then uber confident. And so I noticed that there was this shift that they were making between their preparation mind and performance mind. And they still had humility. And when they got between the lines, they actually were a little bit arrogant. And they still had this perfectionism, but they weren't necessarily bringing that perfectionism into performance. They were bringing adaptability into performance. They were often talking about visualization and envisioning certain things happening. Yet they talked about playing present in performance. So it's really what I've written my book about. It took four years to write the book. Uh, and I've implemented this framework that the book is about with my clients in and outside of sport. And for me, it became crystal clear that this is how a lot of the elite performers think, whether it's conscious or subconsciously. And so I, I, I've created this framework and um, there's nine that I focus on, but there's really about 30 that I've zeroed in and, and zoomed in on with my clients. And uh, I, I just encourage everybody to think about how they're showing up for preparation and, and how it might be different than performance. And the last thing I'll say on that front is, we have different sides to us human beings. So we often will say, oh, that person's arrogant or that person's humble or that per person's a perfectionist. And the reality is, is we're not all the same way all the time. So when we are some way is really important. And I hope that everyone can start thinking about when they need to be some way because uh, we all have these different sides to ourselves. Authenticity is not rigid. It, it is flexible. And I'm sure for you, when you're on the mic calling the Washington football team, you're a certain way and you might be different when you're, when you're parenting, for example, or you're preparing and, and talking to players before, before Sunday's game. So I think, it, I think giving ourselves the grace to shift between the two minds is helpful and it's something that I think we should all be thinking about. Yeah, I mean, and this is just my own personal experience with it, but I, I it really resonates what you talk about with me. Um, I over-prepare for these games. I laugh at myself at the end of them because there's 
about 50 to 100 notes on pieces of paper that I never said. And I know every week that that's going to be the case. But I feel like that level of preparedness allows my instincts just to take over when it's performance. And it is, I hate using the word arrogant, but there is a humble arrogance to it. I feel like, and I know I'm going to make mistakes, but I feel like um, I'm ready. And the hardest part, I think, for, for performers in broadcasting is letting going, letting your instincts just take over because you do know what you're doing and allow yourself to just perform. And once you reach that point and click, um, yes, of course, you'll make mistakes, but they won't feel the same way, um, you know, when you're performing, if you allow yourself to kind of let go and let your instincts take over. Yeah, I'd also say analysis is a head experience and instinct is a, is a body experience. It's a feel. And so analytics, for example, has revolutionized how sports are played. It's really helpful to know all the analytics. But when a wide receiver is running a route, that's where he needs to trust his instinct. Yes. And I'm sure, and for you on air, like you need to trust and feel your instinct. And if you're overanalyzing, you're going to run into trouble in performance. But that overanalysis actually gives you permission to then trust your instinct. The other one that I heard as, as I was listening to you talk was fear and fearlessness. Like, there needs to be a little bit of fear Monday through Saturday that, hey, I'm not prepared. I need to learn. I need yes. to grow. I need to think about who are they playing against? What's the opponent? Yes. Like having a little bit of sense of apprehension and knowing that this is a privilege, that this is the work you get to do and having some fear that that could get taken away from you is help. It's healthy and helpful in preparation, but in performance, that's where we need to let go of the fear and be fearless and be bold or brave and without concern that you're going to lose your job. And so I think a lot of people bring that fear into the performance. They bring the analysis into performance when we really need instinct and fearlessness. I 100% agree. And it literally all of what you're saying completely resonates with the way I approach what I do, but it took a long time to get around to that. And I don't want that to come off the wrong way. I don't sit here and pretend I'm Mike Tirico. You know, so, you know what I mean? Like there are things that I still look to and ascend to and admire, um, but I do think I could do a good job for those very reasons, you know, for those very reasons that Monday through Saturday, I am constantly concerned I'm not doing enough to be ready. But when Sunday rolls around, I let it fly and I feel good about it. And, you know, it'll land where it lands. And, but I always feel confident in those moments. Graham, what do you think makes Mike Tirico Uh, I have never seen someone who has the acumen he does for so many different um, forms of broadcasting. That's what I'm amazed by. There are some people that are incredible um, at one specific thing, like watch Tom Rinaldi do a piece for ESPN, but I've never seen him anchor anything else. And I don't know if he'd be good at that if he did it, you know? Um, watch, uh, you know, watch Chris Berman do highlights. Would he be great at doing a game? No, he's not great at doing a game. So I've never seen someone like Tariko who literally does everything at almost a flawless level. And that is, that is, uh, these things are so nuanced. It's hard to describe, but they are. And he, it, to be that good at all of them, is to me what puts him at the top of the mountain. Yeah, and I'm I'm wondering sort of his inner world and how he thinks about preparation. Is he working it and then he gets on the microphone and that's his opportunity to play. And I, I'm just thinking about him 
is he constantly tinkering with his preparation, thinking, all right, how can we do this? I know he loves to tell stories and he's always, you can tell he's prepared and he's thoughtful and then he trusts his process and performance. Yes. But he's somebody who I love listening to, whether he's doing golf or hockey or, or football or, or anything. It does seem like he's competent and he knows that he's competent, but he also has an element that he's just comfortable when he's on screen. And I wonder if that comes from a little discomfort in preparation as well. He is able also to moderate his energy in a way that is, um, that I think all of us who do this for a living would hope to be able to achieve. He's pitch perfect. He knows when to toggle up, when to toggle down, when the moment warrants getting excited, when the more, when the moment doesn't warrant it. And it is really, if you watch it, um, to me, he's like piece of art watching him work. It really, he's, he's amazing. Did I lose you? I thought you were, oh. I thought you were going to say it's because he went to Syracuse. <laughs> well, everybody in my field, except for me, went to Syracuse. Uh, <laughs> All right, let's get back to the book here um, for for a moment. Um, do you want to share some of, maybe not all the nine, but the nine mental shifts you discuss in your book, Shift Your Mind? Sure, and we've gone over probably half of them. The ones that we haven't talked about is selfish and selfless. I think about the great performers, and Tariko included. He needs to set up his, his you know, his, his analyst. He needs to make sure that that person's also successful. So. I'm sure there are play-by-play guys that you listen to that it's just always about them. They never shut up and they don't allow either the environment or the people that they're working alongside be successful. So I think you're selfish in preparation, take care of everything, whether that's sleep, eat, exercise, whatever you need to do to make sure you're your best. And then when you're performing, you need to be selfless. Uh, other ones are uncomfortable and comfortable. We sort of hit on a little bit. Experimenting in preparation, trusting process. We talked about fear and fearlessness. Analysis and instinct. We talked about perfectionistic in preparation and adaptable. We sort of said, hey, you need to perfect, perfect, perfect. Have a high demand of your highest standard of excellence. Yet when you're performing, you need to adjust and, and be readily uh, ready to handle different conditions. And I think that's a big piece that people struggle with. So we often tell people, don't worry about being perfect. And as a result, they don't actually demand excellence for themselves. They're not, you said, over-preparing. They're not making sure that everything is ready. You think about the kid who doesn't study for a test and, and then they just go, oh, I'm gonna wing it. Well, that's fine. But what they're doing is they're actually holding themselves back of learning as much material as possible so that they can adjust or if there's a pop quiz and handling that pop quiz. So I think adaptability is huge if it's blended with perfectionism. And then future and present is another big one. Thinking about the future, how I want to show up, what it might look like. And then when you're performing, you need to play present. You need to be in that that present space in the moment, be where your feet are. Work and play is another one. So we talk about really using work ethic and preparation uh, thinking about it as a job and this is your employment, this is your livelihood, prepare as if it's a job. Yet when you're performing, we play sports. Uh, a musician plays an instrument. An actor is in a play. The reason that is is because they're really doing those activities for amusement. And at the end of the day, life doesn't need to be so serious. We all need to be able to play when we're performing. And then the last one we've talked about is humble in preparation and arrogant in performance. And you even said, I hate that word, arrogant. For me, arrogance is having or revealing an exaggerated sense of one's own importance or abilities. And oftentimes, when we get to a certain level career-wise, we need to step into that arrogance. So you think about a professional athlete, you get there, hey, everybody there has put in the work. Everybody there was a star on their team at some level. 
How are you revealing yourself? And sometimes you need to exaggerate, exaggerate your own sense of your own abilities. I think about Stephen Curry as somebody who his whole life was told to be humble and, and that he's not good enough even to go to the university that his legendary dad went to, Virginia Tech. He needs to go to Davidson. But he always believed that he was capable of playing at the highest level and playing at the highest level at the highest level. So that sense of exaggerated self is really key. And a lot of times we don't bring that out because there is a potential for being shamed, embarrassed, or burned. So it's way easier to just be humble all the time, which is more about showing a modest or low estimate of one's own importance. And I find a lot of performers stay in that humble space when they're performing. And that's actually what gets in the way of them unlocking their potential. Um, all right, before I let you go, this is a tech show. So I'm curious um, in your field, because we've had a ton of advancements in biomechanics, biometrics, all of that type of stuff to study recovery and rest and injury prevention and all of those types of biomechanical issues that go on with high-level athletes. Have you seen anything in the tech space that works on the mental side, that works in congruence with what you and others are doing with high-level athletes and teams? I'll give you three examples. And I, I've been obsessed with this element because I just believe in evolving, growing, innovating. And I think that's what technology does. The first is apps on your phone. So whether it's Headspace for meditation or Calm, those apps have infiltrated elite performers. Um, they, they, a lot of the top athletes talk about using meditation. And I think when you have an app on your phone that you can easily access to meditate for five or 10 or 15 or 20 minutes, it's really it can be a game changer for a lot of athletes. So I'd go to apps, number one. Number two, there is a lot of neurofeedback where they give people headsets and they can use those headsets and play games and it can sort of show you where you're spiking from an arousal standpoint and, and tensing up and when you're maybe more calm and able to perform better. Those have still got a ways to go. I've played with a few of them. There's nothing that I've played with that I feel really confident in using with my clients. Um, but there is head technology, head sort of these um, headset technologies that are still a work in progress. We still have a little bit of ways to go. And then the last place I'll say is just assessment tools. So I created my own assessment tool, and that is where technology can really play a role. And there's all kinds of I'm, certified in two other assessment tools where someone can go in and take uh, an assessment and then it'll spit out all kinds of data on how they show up for certain environments and, and what to be aware of as it relates to their personality. So I, I use that for sure. I think the headsets still have a ways to go and I think the apps are definitely a benefit and, and we use them in our field. Uh, the name of the book is Shift Your Mind by author Brian Levinson. Thank you so much, Brian. Thanks, Brian. On the next Future Sport Podcast, big-time athletes turning into investment vehicles. Um, I thought it was a great way for me to build wealth off the court as well. Um, I thought it was a great way for me to interact with my fans also. So. And those are two things I prioritize, prioritize and I think um, with sport blocks, they prioritize the same thing as me. So um, just being able to do those two things brought... Uh, it made my eyes big, and I was really excited about doing it. That's Charlotte Hornets rookie P.J. Washington, who has teamed with Joe DiPario of Sport BLX to offer a new kind of investment, high-earning, high-profile players with ideas of how they will grow their wealth. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. 
This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com.